When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to AFL Nation. Gary Rowan wins it after the siren with a dead-eye shot. Where are you, buddy? There he is! <laughs> he juggles the mark at the front. Ball to Springer, the magic man. He's done it again. Jake Springer, the everywhere man. He says the chance to get through. Bontempelli! Simply the box! Gives it to Gord. Willie from 55. Uh-huh. He will. He can. He does. He gave it to Dusty. Martin. Goal. Tigers in front. At the final bell, it's a grand new flag. 57 years of torment eased. And a curse lifted. Melbourne Premiers in 2021. AFL Nation. The game that's been designated to celebrate 150 years and an opponent hand-picked to heighten the occasion. The formalities are choreographed. They're spectacular, we're told. The game can't be scripted, and this is a team that is very much unsure of itself. So can it produce a performance to match the occasion for the club? It does create a sense of intrigue in the build-up to Essendon and Carlton on a chilly winter's night in Melbourne where there's a thumping crowd expected to be part of it. So on AFL Nation, you're with Jared Waitley. Anthony Hudson is with me. Hello, hello. Good evening, Jared. Uh, welcome everyone to Friday Night Footy at the MCG. Well, there should be a thumping crowd, Jared. After last night's meagre 21,000, I really hope there is. I mean, obviously it's been a big week from a news front, but there's th- the competition is a fascinating stage of the season with so many potential contenders. We know Melbourne have shot themselves in the foot off the field, but whether that'll uh, turn into on the field, uh, time remains. To, it remains to be seen, but uh, the Blues, uh, we know what their season's produced. Harry Mackay's back, but Essendon have made a mess of their season so far, but tonight they can get the weekend off on the right footing, and I, I know Eddie referred to it during the week about um, losing when you have a big function, but I reckon a few teams have been through that in, in previous years, but with all that's gone wrong for Essendon tonight, let's hope they can bring it out on the ground tonight. I think Carlton have a pretty good record of pooping these parties yes. historically too, so they're, they're a curious choice. Jared Healy, good evening. Good evening to you, Jared and Hutto and, and everybody. It is a big night. I mean, when a club gets to 150 years, it's a, an incredible celebration. It reminds us of just how old this competition now is, and it's worthy of Essendon's best. They haven't gone anywhere near their best this year, and let's hope that uh, they do justice to the occasion. They're up against an old foe, an old foe that's got some weakness in the back line, but, uh, gee, they've got some strength everywhere else. 
And it's a highly specialised portfolio, and it's very much in demand tonight. Former Melbourne captain, Nathan Jones. <laughs> Hello, Nathan. <laughs> oh, I'm just bracing myself for it, waiting for it. Chill um, through the first half hour. <laughs> we'll come to it shortly. Um, no, I'm going good, yeah. It's, you didn't uh, fake a sniffle or anything this morning? Nah, <laughs> nah, look, I'm actually, uh, there's a sigh of relief, really, that I'm not there having to deal with that kind of thing. Um, I've been there before, maybe not to this extent, but... Um, Look, it, uh, it is what it is at this point in time, and uh, I'm excited for the footy tonight. I think it presents... Nice deflection. <laughs> it presents a great game. I think Jared touched on it. Um, I'm excited to see what both teams do off the bye. There's a whole kind of emotional hook for the Bombers, and you'd expect uh, you'd expect their best or somewhat near it tonight, and hopefully they can produce that. And, and for Carlton, they'd want to get back on track and... Um, you know, the inclusion of Harry Mackay and uh, a couple other keys, Caleb Marchbank, Marchbank back after a, a long stint away, I think uh, settles their line-up a little bit as far as their best team. And um, I think they'd be looking to really make a statement, poop the party, as you suggested before. Does the team need to feel the occasion, Nathan? Did you play in, in one of these? I think yeah. Melbourne's 150th, it might have been. It's, oh, God, that was a long time ago now, but... Um, yeah, it's uh, absolutely you do. I think, and I think for where they're at, um, they need to draw on all of that, uh, you know, all of the history they would have heard about past players being present. You know, you read here that they trained at Windy Hill. Uh, they've had plenty of time to sort of soak it in as well. Obviously, coming off the bye, so it hasn't sort of been game to game to game. And I think they have to draw some sort of inspiration from it to. Hopefully, um, you know, I guess instill some fire back into their season. And it is something Ben Rutten has embraced from the start of last year. It be, uh, part of it, one of the many questions about Essendon is the impact of leaving Windy Hill, even though that they had to really. But Tullamarine is it's it's still as, as good as it is. There's still a sterileness about it. Um, but he did bring a lot of that history and got got past players to write letters and do you know all that sort of stuff so it hasn't just been around this 150th it was so such a great stroke last year but unfortunately hasn't helped them much this year i think if they were winning premierships uh Talon marine would somehow get a little bit more soul but uh, maybe yeah nevertheless i thought what ben rutten did during the week was good i mean he's not an emotive type of uh, coach but he basically put it on the midfield and said, it's time, gents. If you, yeah. you look at the midfield numbers, if there was no North Melbourne and West Coast right now, we'd be, you know, we would be looking at their numbers, their stoppage and clearance numbers and their contested ball numbers and saying, this is, this is borderline disaster. And hopefully we're going to see something slightly different out of the midfield. Throw some kids in there. They've got good young kids. Don't give us... Parrish and Merritt and McGraw. Stringer will clearly come back in and go into the side, and he's a body that they need in there. But you know, give us a look at Hobbs and give us a look at a couple of the others that they've got floating around that are going to be the future. The back half of the season is really important for Reston and for all number of reasons, one of, one of which is they've got a bit of a, a treasure chest, as I think Brad Scott famously said at North Melbourne. But they have to entice players to come. Yeah. I mean, they're going to sell their future as Damien Hardwick so bravely did that night on the couch when he was yep. talking to his fans. He was talking to Dion Prestier as well. He was. And saying, come to our footy club. We, we think we can be bounced straight back into the eight. And just on the on the Bombers, I mean, I, I, I have been frustrated at this line that they're trying to sell that how young they are. I think it's a load of rubbish. Yeah. I do. And I've done the numbers. I mean, when they were against Fremantle, they were trying to tell us how young they were. If you took Monday out, they had Fremantle had more players that night 
with less than 50 or less than 70 or whatever it was. And, you know, even tonight, they've got eight blokes with less than 50 games. Carlton's got seven blokes with less than 50 games. Essendon's got seven blokes between 50 and 100 games. Carlton's got eight. So, you know, the young alibi, if you go through the numbers, Melbourne's got a similar profile. And it can tell a lot of rubbish sometimes. Yeah. If you took David Mundy out, you can drop your average age down by a long way. But most of the clubs are around 23 years of age and uh, have got about 70 games under their belt. So I think it's an alibi that I wouldn't be selling too much. A lot of clubs use that alibi. They, do, they bust a gut to tell you what, what ranking they are in, yeah. the, in the youth stakes every weekend. And if the discrepancy is one month, what's it mean? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Fremantle have got plenty of young people in it. They and have they, had injuries this year. I know other clubs have. but yeah, Well, this goes back to our discussion last week. We know they've had injuries. And the chairman said they told us they had injuries, six of their best seven, and everybody accepted that. And on the back of it, he's called a review. Yes. Yes, that wasn't all that smart. <laughs> the Carlton side of things. So the, the misstep against Collingwood which is, it's not terrible form-wise, but it is costly, and they're seventh. So they do have to mm. come out of the buy and get and get on with the business of winning because from a really promising platform in a highly competitive run, particularly for those places at the bottom of the eight, it can get sticky quickly if you drop a game against a team who's in the bottom three. Yeah, they're no certainties now, Carlton. They've uh, lost that game against Colling, which, which I think at the end of the year is we're going to look back and say, oh, it wasn't such a bad loss anyway. They're coming pretty hard, Collingwood, and, and they're doing pretty well, which is why Monday's game is all the more enticing. If uh, Melbourne fell over again, then Collingwood all of a sudden are looking at, you know, higher on as top six, top four, who knows, but uh, they are going particularly well. But Carlton have got a couple of good ins. I mean, they're, they're going really well in a lot of areas, and uh, they're exciting. I, I expect they'll play finals. I hope they play finals. And Harry Mackay comes back in and just adds, I mean, it's a huge name to come back in. He probably would be the biggest name to come back in all season as an in if it wasn't for Nat Fife coming back in. <laughs> so it's not even the biggest this weekend. No, yet. it's not. <laughs> it's big, but that's hard to trump. <laughs> you can't trump him. What do you think of Carlton, Nathan, as they're coming off the bye? Yeah, I think uh, in the context of their year, it's a, this is a huge game for them. Um, and I was, uh, I've been a car, I'm almost a Carlton uh, fan, really. Like, I've loved watching their growth and development over this season. And uh, watching them lose to the Pies, I thought, oh, this is big, you know. Like, the, um, I felt like they really needed that. And so now that you have, they have a week off, two weeks between games, and it's an, they have to reset and they have to find that spark that, you know, has ignited a lot of their amazing footy this year and they've got to find it quickly because it can get away from you and just how it just shows how competitive the competition is right now it's um it really is a game of inches this season in particular in that sort of bottom half of the eight and um yeah they're gonna they're gonna need the win how they work through the the weedering absence which looks like they're well, he's, he's been so good for them as yeah. the general down back. He's had a great year, and it's not just him. It's been uh, complicated, of course, by Mitch McGovern not being there. And, uh, I mean, they lost their player too. McDonald. Um, 
Oscar McDonald. Um, Oscar McDonald's the, the other one who's not there. So you know they're skinny down there, and that's the that's the issue. I mean, this this is why Essendon have got some sort of chance. I mean, if they can break even in the middle and pump it into that back line or into Carlton's back line, they got a chance. And you know, if they can get on a roll, they would have had a big week. You only need to get a sniff of a win, and all of a sudden you can grow a leg. And, uh, and put some pressure on. Things go their way. You know, they, it could be a fantastic victory. And I come here tonight hoping that Essendon are competitive. I, I look through their list and, you know, there's some holes and there are some young players like there is in, in Carlton's side. They're, you know, they've got a few players who are two or three, you know, games into their careers and they're going to they're gonna be buoyed by it. You know, they're, they're not... Most young players aren't sort of intimidated by this. I think they get excited by this. So I look forward to them getting on the scoreboard and Jake Stringer having a decent game and we go away thinking, well, Essendon's turned the corner. I think they have to, though, like you mentioned before, blood some of these younger guys in positions that demand more from them because they will be... They'll be chomping at the bit to... to, to get in there and show their wares and, and make a statement. I think... The interesting thing for me tonight is can we will we see something more distinct from Essendon? He's mm. put the heat on the midfield, but is there some sort of stability they've been able to instill in the last couple of weeks as far as sort of simplifying their game plan and, and getting out there and just competing to the level that we expect? There's, it's just been too inconsistent for the year. And, you know, with all of the emotive... Um, you know, inspiration around this game. You'd hope that they can they can do that. I look at Zach Reed at fullback. He's played half a dozen games, and then James Stewart is on the outside. He's played seventy-five games, and and he's played some good games at fullback. I, I mean, these are decisions that they're making, looking to the future. But it's it's, I think it's a real challenge to put a kid that has only played six games there. And maybe, you know, and a game as important as this, I'm probably thinking Stewart would be a better option. What about Essendon more broadly, Jared? It's, it's a long time since they've been successful and they've been through an awful lot since, yep. which Kevin Sheedy reignited this week, which was such so curious in, in the week that uh, they were trying to celebrate all that has mm. been over the long term. Yeah, I found that a bit of a distraction. It, it didn't probably get much grip on on uh, our radio show we didn't really give it much attention I, I, look it's one of those most painful episodes that i've ever lived through it was one of the couple of the most difficult years in my working career to to deal with that and to to watch really good football people go through what was a horrible experience and a, a horrible uh time at their footy club a big footy club you know basically embarrassed on the national stage and uh it was it was unusual to bring it up in this week, but uh, that said, there's a lot of people at Essendon still, you know, angry and hurt by that, um, and she's had his reasons for doing it. But it's uh, a footy club that I hope gets over that and and sort of moves on, gets on with it, and and you know continues down this track. You know, I, I think they need to work out where they're at. Are they are they young? And if they are young, well, don't get the uh, cash out of the treasure chest. Just just keep building for a couple of years. They, they look to me as if they've got a really good young base. Build on that base. You know, aim for three or four years down, three or four or five years down the track, not a premiership within two or three years. I mean, to me, that's you know everything would have to go right if the premiership turned up in two or three years. But this club, 
can rebuild and it will rebuild. And the, the competition's better when the big clubs are really intimidating and, and turn up with uh, massive crowds. And I hope that happens for the Bombers sooner rather than later. But but don't go early. Just just let it un- unfold. You've got some good kids last year. You've brought in some good kids this year. Not sure the Essendon supporters have that level of patience, Jared. which well, is probably part of the reason. Yeah, we... and I heard that at Melbourne a lot. You know, you had to go through this rebuild and that rebuild. But, you know, just back it in and just keep on going because when it arrives... It, you know, you get that enjoyment, and it's even more pleasurable, I'm sure, Jonesy, for the for the decades of um, of misery. Oh, absolutely, and I think patience is certainly the key. Um, as you mentioned, it's uh, I think you've just got to trust the process. Um, and as hard as it is from the outside looking in, uh, you know, you can question so many things, but internally, I think that you're working to a goal, and you don't want to destabilise that and, you know, chop and change your direction. I think, you've, as you mentioned, they've got to work out where they're at, set a path and commit to it, irrespective of all the noise that goes on on the outside and continue to trust that process. So the man running that process is our guest as we get going tonight, the General Manager of Footy at Essendon, Josh Marnie. Josh, great to have you on AFL Nation. Let's just uh, see if we've got that working, shall we? As we zero in on Essendon and Carlton tonight. Uh, we've given you the false start. It's Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Jared. He actually ah, came in are. and tried to whack Nathan yeah, Jones. He <laughs> <laughs> can handle it. How significant a night for the for the football team? We know how big it is for the club. What about for the team tonight? Yeah, significant in both occasions. Um, you know, first of all, significance for the 150th game and the build-up's been terrific and getting back to Windy Hill and the past players getting involved. That's what being part of a, a club with so much history is all about, actually embracing that. And we've been able to do that really well. And then talk about from a team point of view, you know, our last two performances before the bye, we started to see some improvements. We've now had a week off, been able to reassess where we were at mid-season. We'll implement a few things that we've been speaking about over mid-season and, and our first chance to put on show. So have you wanted the players to immerse themselves in, in the history of a great club? Yeah, it's, it's really been um, Ben Rutten's focus straight away as becoming the Essendon coach. He wanted to really embrace the history and it's so important and so much success there with 16 premierships and we haven't had a premiership for a period of time now, two decades, so it's, it's good to remind the players of how powerful the club was and to get the past players back and talk about how powerful we were and it's a good little reminder for them to say you know these people are all behind us uh, past players sent messages to the players today um, people are sending that wearing the same number as their past players and some of the messages i just read on the way here that they're, they're just so passionate you can feel it in the words so it's you know it's really exciting Josh, just for the record, were the flags tied down at Windy Hill when you were there, or are they flowing in the wind? It has changed a fair bit, Windy Hill now. There's no many stands there anymore, but, yeah, there's certainly um, good memories back there. And we walk around and say, how the hell did they play AFL games there yeah. when you look at it now? But, you know, such an important spiritual home for us. It was an intimidating place to play. I had the uh, displeasure of playing there uh, probably a, maybe eight times. I reckon I had one win there for the Swans in really difficult conditions, but uh, it was an amazing home and away ground. We were talking about where the Bombers are at and uh, we spoke about the comparison with Melbourne when uh, Hutto said Essendon supporters are impatient. But ultimately, I reckon if you don't set your path and you don't realise where you're at, you can get the misstep. You've gone through a couple of these sort of failures at Melbourne and seen them come through the other side. And in many respects, I think you've got some really good kids last year. You've got some really good kids again this year. You're on a really strong path to improvement. You've just got to, you know, get your playing right more so than anything and not get impatient and, and go early like you probably did a few years ago when you brought in Devon Smith and Dylan Shield. 
Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And it was probably the first comment I made when I was going through the process to join Essendon is I don't know where we're at as a club. Um, you want to get to a stage where all your members and supporters, a decision gets made and they just nod their head and they say, yeah, I can see yep. why we've made that decision. And that just shows that everyone believes in what the path you're on. So last year was a lot about just getting a good assessment on our list. Uh, we had some you know, some players change, some mature players leave, and then we had some good draft picks. So it was about finding out our list. We weren't active in trade period deliberately. Again, we just wanted to bring in a role player in Jake Kelly. Apart from that, we weren't active just backing in our list and, yep. and now we're in a position now we've got a good handle on where our list is at and it's really in a good position to attack the trade period look at adding some players to our list and you know we aren't playing anywhere near where we think we can play but you do go through these little periods and it's not a real assessment of where we're at as a list currently but hopefully in the back half of the year when we get five or six players back that are in our best 22 we'll get a bit more of a handle on so that. So you're going to trade out first round picks? No, not at this stage. I think um, it'll mainly just been looking at free agency market. Okay. It is a big one for us at the moment. Um, in some conversations there, and then just looking at you know trading other picks. I think at the moment with the pick that we've currently got, you know, it's such a valuable pick. Um, so we'll look at a different scenarios, but hopefully we're, we're not having pick three at the end of the year. You and I lived through the 2020 season, Mans. Uh, do do you, would you relate? that experience to the year that the Bombers are having now? Do you th- like Internally, do you think you can bounce maybe not to a premiership, but quite significantly off the back of this season? Yeah, it's probably a bit of 2019 as well. Nath, um, you know, when we had the pre-season, we had 2019, we had a lot of injuries and we, we finished 17th that year. And The big thing, you have a plan in place, but you've got to also maximise whenever you're at the opportunities you get. And I remember the conversation we had, we never thought we'd be able to get to the top of the draft at Melbourne again, because we were going to go on this trajectory, trajectory. And we had it. So he said we have to maximise this draft. So you're bringing guys like Luke Jackson, Cosie Pickett and Trent Rivers in one draft. It makes a total difference. And we just had that real-life example uh, a week ago in the mid-season draft. We didn't think we'd have pick three in the mid-season draft. So we had it. So we had to maximise that pick. So, yes, you can have a plan, but you have to be flexible around that and make your adjustments. But there is a similar feel, and it um, it's, it's gives me some confidence that we can get through this. And you know, the key things that I can bring with my experience is just know that internally, yes, we can be disappointed. We can be impatient about trying to get better and get frustrated but really just keep reminding everyone this is the journey we're on. We're going to get there. Just keep putting our head down and just keep making some smart decisions. Have you already decided that this is a, a growth year? We're going to just get games into people because you've got Zach Reed, who's got half a dozen games under his belt, notionally named a full back. He may well play there. And you've got James Stewart out of the side. Yeah, you take as many opportunities as you can is to get games into some players. Um, James Stewart's just coming back from injuries, only played one VFL game. But for Zach Reed as an example, you know, he played on uh, Lynch two weeks ago for Richmond. Uh, he'll get a, a crack on Harry Mackay uh, today. So that's amazing experience for him yep. you know, to be playing back there. Hopefully he got a crowd of 70,000 to 80,000 on a Friday night. So great experience for him, for Ben Hobbs to be in, for Archie Perkins to get a bit more midfield time. You, know, you certainly take that opportunity while we've had players out like uh, Will Snelling, uh, Kyle Langford, Jake Stringer's been out. That's created opportunities for these young guys to go into spots that maybe they aren't quite ready for, but amazing experiences for them. So is the development more important than the winning? I think it goes hand in hand. Um, I think when you look at a season, you can assess in a few different ways. The win-loss is one part of it. Individual development of players is another one, and how your game style is developing is a third way to look at it. And I'd say for the first half of the year, we're probably crosses for all three of those. So it's really a focus for us is to start to see more improvement in our individual players. Yeah, start to play an identifiable game style again, which we showed a fair bit last year, and the wins and losses will come off the back of that. How what? much did the game style change from last year to this year? Because it seems like there's either a disconnect between what you're trying to do and what you've been able to do, or there's a change that the players haven't quite grasped yet. 
Not much change. Uh, it's just really that the you know, opposition are taking away our strengths at the moment. We probably had a, a free ride last year that we were able to do the way we wanted uh, the way we wanted to play. And then we just had some structural guys that are out of the team that are so important to us. You know, I'll keep using the Melbourne example. Alex Neilborn is a really important structural player. Will Snelling is our Alex Neilborn. Kyle Langford's the same. And the depth of our list isn't quite there at the moment to actually cover those guys. So you start moving other players around and taking them away from their strengths. And then you add into you know, the fixture at the start of the year. We're playing you know, three of the top four sides. You start losing games. Players lose confidence. So then it starts to look like exactly what you mentioned, um, that it's going to be, it looks like a bit of a mismatch and disconnect. But that is what happens um, when guys lose confidence. We've got a forward line that at the start of the year, we probably would have had, we had five out of our best six out of the team for the majority of the year. So we've, we've put a big load on Peter Wright. And you can imagine there's a midfielder looking up and all you see is Peter Wright. And it's gonna, you know, you're going to adjust your play at different stages. So having Harry Jones back in tonight, having Jake Stringer back tonight, there's three options straight away that guys can kick forward with confidence, knowing that these guys are probably going to win their 50-50 balls or even better than that. And Ben Rutten spoke about simplifying uh, a few weeks ago. What should we see tonight as far as an identifiable brand? What, what, like, what things are you guys really focusing on to bring that sort of energy back? Yeah, it's just going to be tackling and pressure. You know, it's the cornerstone to every single game style. You know, your defence can't set up appropriately when you want to play an aggressive defence. They can't do it if there's no pressure on the ball. Um, our midfield has to get back into winning the ball, start turning over, get good at stoppage. So, you know, it's really going to be tackling and pressure and contested ball. And what a great battle against Carlton, who are so strong in that area. Uh, they've got big midfielders in that area as well, so we have to make sure that we match up well, we use good craft at stoppage and, and try and get on top of them there. Was the review a distraction? for the staff and are you involved in the review? I am. It wasn't a distraction. Um, it was just a, a timing thing for, for Paul. He'd said to, his me- to the members that he'd speak to him mid-season, so that's yeah. when it first became public. Yeah, really, we started talking about a, f- a range of things probably since about round seven or eight, yeah. um, and I'm involved in all those conversations. And, and it's not really a witch hunt into who can we get rid of. It's really about how much more support can we put in our football program, how can we fast-track our development, how can we do things even better than what we, what we currently are. So how significant is your role in it? Yeah, I'm heavily involved in it. Yeah, um, yeah with working with Sean Wellman, who's our footy director, um, basically between him and I, you know, we'll be we're doing the review ourselves, um, getting different bits of input from different people, getting different bits of data from different people, and I think that's a really healthy way to go about it. Do you think the soft cap will expand either later this year or early next year to enable you to add staff? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I think it will go up. Um, it's just a matter of how much it will go up. I mean, there's there's different parts of football departments that are asking for it to go up at different levels. Um, but, yeah, I think it's got to a stage now where if the competition and the clubs can afford it, that we're probably a few resources behind in every club. So I think it you know, it'd be a good thing. Josh, good to have you here and good luck for tonight. No worries, guys. Good call. Josh Marnie is the general manager of footy at Essendon. We are setting up for the Bombers and the Blues, the AFL Nation pregame show for the Beaumont Tiles huge sale, which is on right now. You're listening to the 2022 Premiership season on AFL Nation for Beaumont Tiles. Hybrid flooring in store now. Aussie Rules footy. The formalities at 7.30 will tell the story of a great club. So we will share in those in an hour's time in the countdown to the match against the Blues. AFL Nation will take your feedback across the weekend on the Southern Phone open line. Stay in touch with Southern Phone mobile plans. Jared Waitley, Anthony Hudson, Jared Healy and Nathan Jones. And your old club, Melbourne, have dominated the headline. So let's 
let's have this conversation. Now, how have you looked in at what's been a very messy week? Yeah, well, Messi's a, well right on the money, I think. Uh, I reckon from where I sit, could have been handled much uh, more cleaner. There's no doubt about that. And I think... Uh, well, you'd hope it would be a lesson well learnt, really, um, irrespective of the, uh, the story itself. I think just fronting and being honest, particularly now the position I sit in from the outside. Um, now, there may be a whole heap of reasons because I also have experienced it on the inside, but ultimately getting the story straight ASAP and getting the entire story out there um, generally eliminates the time we keep hearing about it. But... I guess in their case, it's uh, sort of been drip-fed every day and what could have been over in probably 24, 48 hours is uh, we're still talking about it, what, almost five days later. So, yeah, they haven't had a good week in that regard and, um, yeah, I think just hope, hopefully it doesn't sort of, you know, create disharmony or derail um, anything within the club. I think they're strong enough culturally and got some great leaders in great positions that will steer that ship and... Um, you know, hopefully we look back on it later in the year and it's a small blip on the on the radar of the season. It is it is going to be a real challenge. I, I don't think I've ever heard a division between premiership players and non-premiership players. And we now know that two people had a crack at that uh, sort of line of talk. And if you're in the non-premiership playing group, you know, you just beg the question, well... You know, are we looked upon? I mean, I'm sure Stephen May wouldn't have said it to you, but in his state he might have. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be brutally honest. As soon as I heard that without even having spoken to anyone, I absolutely took offence. I was there, I lived it, and I was like, oh, surely not. Like, yeah. um, And it hurt me. Like, I was thinking... And uh, you can only imagine, you know, I don't know how many boys were there on the night, but, you know, say there's two or three that didn't play then that infiltrating back into the group of the 20-odd guys that didn't play as well. And um, I think that's the danger of it. But ultimately, I think, um, you know, well, you'd hope internally that they're able to address that. And essentially, you know, Steve had done a lot of work to build himself into the position he's in. And, and as a lot of us know, you know, when you're trying to change perception, you can sort of take 50 steps forward and one step back. So there'll be an element of him having earned the boys trust and, and stuff again and um, yeah he'll have some work to do there's no doubt but I don't I think ultimately I don't think it plays a significant part as in, as far as you know culturally where the team and, and club end up going Was one week the right penalty? Because Melksham's ended up losing a week too and it's just some, some gut feeling of mine says it's, there's an inequity there uh, Yeah look I think um the way I look at it, you know, I think it, I look at the Melk, Melksham situation now. Jake's one of my best friends, um, so you know, as far as understanding his character, I don't think that he comes to blows without there being a little bit more to the story. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, he wouldn't. It's not just a little bit of verbal that has led to that uh, that issue, but ultimately. Um, you know, I guess internally they've had to assess that quite strongly and, and that's the decision they've come to. But I think, it, you know, from where I sit, there there has to be a little bit more to it and how much uh, was Steve involved in that and how much were the other players involved in that, like, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, if that's the case, you'd think there was an element of inequity. How much of it has to have 
been fully dealt with behind the closed doors. So you've been Max Gorn in this scenario. How, how fully does it have to get exposed to be dealt with and settled and left behind? Um, oh, I think... You know, I think both boys, with how it sort of unfolded, whether you think it's right or wrong or whatever, um, and I think ultimately they'll be mature enough and, uh, I guess, wise enough to work their way through that, which that's why I don't think ultimately it has a significant impact on the group. But, um, yeah, I think from... Max's position, he, he ultimately would have had to understand everything from the moment it, uh, it came to the fore, I guess. And, um, and then it would be, I, I guess in their case or his case, would be facilitating the boys explaining their situation to the players and the club and then they're going to go through that entire situation. Um, you know, I, I, not knowing the timeline specifically, but whether or not the media got onto it before the actual club got onto it and found out and got all its ducks in a row and was able to come forward but I think ultimately uh, you know as I mentioned right off the top I think they would have loved to have handled it a hell of a lot differently How big a bender can players go on mid-season because it, when you don't end up having that sort of discourse and you know upheaval unless you've had a big big day Yeah you, you would you would think that that's for sure um, and you know I guess I, as I mentioned before, I was actually with Jake on the Sunday morning. We'd take our kids to Auskick, so I know sort of where his night started off as far as going to dinner, a bit of a wine tasting, and that's why I sort of think about it. I'm like, it's hard to think that it escalated that quickly. So, um, you know, I think ultimately, I guess maybe 10 years ago it was fine, but the more professional the game has got, uh, you're highly limited in that regard, and... Um, I guess going back, uh, I don't know what Steve's day or not entailed, but um, you'd think that he might have had a fair crack. Yeah, it's, it's just bewildering. I mean, when we all first heard it, and he's in, you know, he's, he's recovering from a concussion and you're having a big day. We don't quite know how big, but it certainly mustn't have been a couple of beers, let's be honest. Uh, it, it just flew in the face of of even, you know, rational thinking. Oh, it flies in the face of everything that the club has tried to embed and stand for over the last few years. So, um, you know, ultimately I, I would anticipate having not spoken directly to the leadership group of Tex Max a couple of times, but they would be livid yep. at, at this situation. There's no doubt about that. Steve being in the leadership group, uh, completely going against one club medical rules, but then also... Um, essentially team rules because you'd be considered as a rehab uh, group player. Yeah, I, I can only imagine the frustration and disappointment amongst those boys. Do you reckon the club knew everything when they handed out the penalty? Uh, whew, it's hard to know, really. I, I would. I can only sit from where I sit right now and anticipate not because every day we've been fed something new. So, yeah, you'd, you'd hope not. Um, and... I guess from where we sit, we're we're only really learning the full story. What four days later, and you hope that they were they got the full picture from the moment that it happened, but maybe not. I'm I'm not to know. How much did he have to earn the trust the first time around last year? Oh, well, I think I read somewhere the other day. I didn't realise it was a couple of times, but I think if a couple of times he'd been caught, um, or he'd you know, um, I think he'd been drinking in rehab maybe twice. 
And I think ultimately it was, you know, a process of him understanding what the new standards were at the footy club. And, and he spent so much time, I can't speak more, um, you know, strongly at the impact that he had on the group and the changes, significant changes he made to earn the trust of everyone, both this all sort of amounted with his off-field and then that was reinforced with the level of footy that he played on-field. And But ultimately, as I said before, you know, you can earn so much trust and it only takes one misstep to go a fair way back. So, you know, I think he'd be... He'd be honest about it as well, that it's uh, he's going to have to put his head down and his bum up and uh, and get on with it. And the only way that uh, he can really earn that trust back is, you know, I guess, he's, the way he trains, the way he performs, the way he holds himself, the standards and behaviours that he adheres to, which should be in line with the club's culture and living and breathing that every day. It's a massive challenge for him. And there's, you know, there's recent history with uh, big-name players getting on the uh, source even just prior to finals and, you know, going on and winning flags. But but the division between premiership players and non-premiership players, that is a new one, I think, for all of us. And how he deals with that is going to be the greatest challenge at him and even Jake Melchin have got just... Uh, and and uh, Smith has got Joel Smith for uh, accepting whatever, you know, apology is made. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that was my number one concern out of it. Um, Obviously, where I sit, removed, took offence. I can only imagine what it's like when it's the mm. you're living and breathing it every single minute, and and questioning whether he, he someone is thinking that about you. Um, I, I would hope that there, as I mentioned there, that there are uh, the culture and the relationships amongst the group is strong enough to find its way through that, but. Only time will tell, really. It's uh, it's an interesting one. I heard Jordan Lewis talk about the other night. It's like n- not too many guys that play in the Premiership really consider that. But you know, it is it, it's difficult for the boys that miss out. Like, and I lived it last year, and um, and I often say, you know, like as much as my story in particular has been so widely reported with my history at the club, there's there's ten or fifteen other guys that were in the same boat, whether it be injury, whether it be form, whether it be just luck. Um, and that's a tough position to be in because you're expected to, uh, you know, you're trying to live out childhood dreams and achieve the absolute ultimate. But ultimately, you you can't control the outcome of that. So you and you're required to commit to the team and the team's direction and give yourself of everything of to the team. And ultimately, you may not get repaid. So yeah. it's a very uh, sort of personal thing to go through and and to who to have it being brought up in that capacity it's um it cuts deep there's a lot coming at melbourne jared yes there is they've lost the two in a row they've had this incident and all the questions around culture but the the extra overlay of of um private material very much in the public domain between the former president and the current president between the afl and the view of the administration and the coach um haven't They've only just become a successful club. Yeah, I think I think this is a big challenge to work through. This is when I think when Richmond had their major challenges in 2020, they'd been a good club for four years, yep. so they had a bit to draw on. There's there's a lot coming at Melbourne right now. There is, and as as much as it's salacious and it's front page, you know, I think a lot of it was put to bed by the premiership win. I I, I really do. I. I it doesn't impact me as much as the division between premiership players and non-premiership players. I think we all want to know how the hell's it getting out. 
I mean, that is ridiculous how that is coming out so frequently. And well done to Mick Warner. He's tapped a, he's touched a, a rich vein of information. And, you know, I read it and it's interesting to read, but it, it's probably put some pressure on uh, the administration, maybe some press, uh, pressure on the, the president. But I don't, given the premiership as one, I think uh, Goody, Goody's moved on. I don't see a big issue for Goody. In fact, I don't see any issue for Goody. I don't see an issue for Gill. And in reality, I don't see too much of an issue for the administration. I think it's a, it's it's a, it's an interesting story, but it's I don't think it's impacting as much as what I see happen this week, potentially. Has it interested you, Nathan, to see? Uh, not as much. I'm I'm very much of the same ilk, really. I think it's it's been and done. Like um, it was off to, from my perspective, it was addressed and squashed, and um, you can continue to try and give it life. But I think you know, Goody and the club have handled it that aspect of it well this week and I don't think there's too much to worry about. What about you, Jared? What about the the current and the former president? How do you see it? Uh, The the relevance was that the the cover story that they blasted the previous president out because of his outburst after the Port Adelaide game has been shown to be nonsense. So... And I reckon we knew that at the time. Yeah. Right? So the first layer of reporting I thought was really interesting yeah. on that front. He was probably blasted out because he represented a threat to Simon Goodwin continuing as coach. Yeah. Um, I I'm amazed at the the <laughs> detail that is in the public domain. Is private text messages between two people. Uh, who kept such detailed minutes of the meeting with the AFL, which was Melbourne's request, not the AFL's request. I think that's been interpreted in in some places a bit differently. Uh, I can be a bit naive in the modern media. I've sort of said that a few times. Is I'm staggered by the level of yeah. detail that is so readily available publicly. Well, somebody's making it available. I mean, I don't think that we've got uh, the Russians or the Chinese involved. They're doing a lot of hacking, but I don't think they've in- <laughs> invaded the, the demons just yet. But I think it gave us a good insight in some respects as to, I mean, there's, tr- there's stress, and a lot of the times Gill has to get involved in clubs who aren't functioning and get, guarantee that there's some discussions going on with Gill and a couple of lowly clubs right now about sorting things out. We'll have a look at the events of last night and then set you up for Essendon and Carlton tonight. Tomorrow's car is available today, a selected range of Hyundai Tucson's, including the powerful fuel-efficient diesel. All-wheel drive models are now in stock, ready to drive away. Tech driver Tucson to see why tomorrow wants its car back. A sports news update for Rolled. Eat good with Rolled. It's fast, fresh Vietnamese. Australia's Sam Kerr has been voted by her English soccer peers as the Women's Player of the Year at the annual Professional Footballers Association Awards. She's the first Australian to earn the honour. Kerr's also won the Women's Super League Golden Boot after scoring 20 goals this season to help Chelsea to their third WSL title in a row. To soccer news back home, Perth Glory A-League men's captain Brandon O'Neill has secured a shock early release from the club, citing family reasons. The injury wash-up from State of Origin Game 1, Panther star Isaiah Yo will miss Sunday's clash against Newcastle due to that head knock. In the Blues' loss, Yo was controversially cleared to keep playing by the on-field doctor. And Melbourne Storm are yet to make a call on who will replace injured winger Xavier Coates for tomorrow's clash with the Roosters. That's the latest in sport. I'm April Austin. Eat good with rolled. It's fast, fresh, Vietnamese. You're listening to the 2022 Premiership season on AFL Nation. For Beaumont Tiles, hybrid flooring in store now.
Richmond by 12 points over Port Adelaide. There's a world of difference between the Tigers at 7-5 and five and Port at 5-7 and seven for a game where the lead changed hands in the final quarter. Jared Healy, what did you think? Well... I, I, what I thought was I thought Port were brave and I thought they had a crack and they did everything that they possibly could, but it just showed to me that Port are uh, not quite there this year and uh, they're going to struggle, particularly when they don't have a legitimate ruckman, but I think it also showed that uh, you can get by without one for a period of time. I, you know, I thought uh, Finlayson did a darn good job. I thought of you last night, Jared. Did you? Yeah, just you're always talking about... You've got a, a number of things that are very strong, and one of them is the uselessness of a hit-out that doesn't do anything. Well, the, the, the hit-out, if it doesn't become a hit-out to advantage, is yep. a nonsense stat, as we, as we all know. And Grant Thomas was 100% right all those years ago. If he had uh, Len Thompson or if he had Nick Natanui or someone, I'm sure Grant Thomas would have loved to have one. But if you've, if you've got a C-grade ruckman... Uh, well, you might as well go for somebody who can win the ball at ground level. And, and he spent, I thought he should have been penalised three or four times for scragging. Yep. The umpires, I think, let uh, Finlayson off the hook a fair bit. But uh, he, did a, he did a manful job. But I think the, the story more is Richmond. I mean, Richmond are coming. They're, they're a very exciting side. With how much force are they coming, do you think? Oh, I think a fair bit. I mean, Shea Bolton kicks 3-2 instead of 0-5. Yeah. Um, in particular, a screw around the corner, which I'm sure uh, your son would have uh, enjoyed, uh, Jared, <laughs> from the goal square, and he, and, and he misses. I mean, it, the game could have been blown away, but they're an exciting group. Can they win the flag? Well, they're in the mix, but they've got to get themselves up to the up to the uh, top four or five, or, or the top four, I think, to have a genuine chance. Dusty's nowhere near. Dusty just at the press. There's lots of things that are going right for them, but, gee, they've got some talent, they've got some speed, and... I think to win the flag, you've got to have a difference, and their speed and their ground ball stars are their difference. It probably depends where the high bar is, doesn't it? I yep. mean, if Melbourne are still clearly above the rest, then Richmond are probably either in the next group or maybe one rung below. But if Melbourne have come back a little bit, maybe there's not much difference between Richmond. No, and, and if it's a, you know if it's a ground ball day, if it's a yep. little bit slippery on grand final day, and Richmond just happened to get in there and. Um, you know, Tom Lynch just brings the ball to ground. You got Shybold and Dusty. Uh, who else played well last night through the middle of the ground? Um, well, Baker's been. Baker's the one I'm thinking. Yeah. About. I mean, he's elevating. I mean, when you see guys elevating through the year, you just don't know how good they're going to be at the end of it. So, exciting times uh, for the Tigers, and you know, I think they're well primed now to well, well positioned now to to go on and play finals. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I was bullish from the start of the year, but what the thing that's impressed me most is their identity around turnover and chaos is well and truly back. Like, mm. They're back sort of just surging the footy forward and knocking on and just creating opportunity. And, and, they're, and likewise, on the flip side, they are just ferocious at creating turnover, particularly through the middle of the ground. It's just creating so many opportunities for them going forward. And watching them early in the year where I started to question it was a lot of their turnover came from D50. But yep. now they're just, like you said, with their speed in their forward line, and I really enjoy the speed off half back as well, they're able to close down plays and create these awesome turnovers to go back and score with. One of the one of the joys I had last night, Jared, was just how different it was to a game that possibly could have been two or three years ago where there was tackle after tackle, turnover after turnover, but it was at a ballistic speed. Mm. And the ball, whilst the scoring isn't going up 
dramatically. The ball is just moving around from back line to back line and, you know, we're not seeing anywhere near as many chips and controlling the tempo, etc. And I think we're in a good space right now for the game and, uh, you know, I'm just absolutely thrilled that the Sharon would appear as if it's been free now for a year and a half and not, it's it's going to continue. Not being reflected in the crowd figures, Jared, is it? No, it's not, isn't it? It's, um, it's, it's different, but we were always going to have challenges, I think, coming post-COVID, but uh, what those challenges are, I think no one really knows. These Thursday nights are a really interesting test case for when we have Thursday nights, I presume, for good as to what games and what yeah. venues and at what time of the year. So it's a bumper television audience mm. and it's a poor crowd in the stadium. So is June suited to the MCG on a Thursday Wouldn't night? Is it so. better somewhere else? So we've got a set of MCG Thursday yeah. nights, which is really... So I think there's a level of experimentation and you, yeah. it you feels take that your way. feedback it look, you it doesn't, look, It's a TV... Um, fixture, but it doesn't look good when there's twenty thousand in this stadium, does it? No, but it doesn't. It doesn't reduce your numbers watching it either. No, but so. it affects the brand. I think. I really think it does. It's something that we've always had over other sports. This is the AFL Nation pre-game show. The Beaumont Tiles huge sale is on right now. You're listening to the 2022 Premiership season on AFL Nation for Beaumont Tiles hybrid flooring in store now. And Carlton, AFL Nation for Sports Power, your local footy experts. A bit of old bull, young bull with uh, Jared Healy and Nathan Jones. State of origin, Jared. Oh, some of my great memories, state of origin. And for many, many years, I've been thinking, can we get this back? Can we get this back? And just based on what we've got now, I don't think it's ever coming back in a meaningful way. Even the last time we played here, it was a bit Mickey Mouse compared to what it used to be like, the ferocity of South Australia versus Victoria. But if Gillam McLaughlin, in his wisdom, decides that we should have a 17-round season and we need to fill it up with something else, well, that gives you an opportunity to put it into the regular season. And I'll go back to what I think should have worked, and that is the Allies. The Allies was such a brilliant concept but it was never supported by the players. And ultimately, all state of origin, even the NRL and the and the uh, uh, the NRL state of origin, Queensland and New South Wales, it only works because the players are ferociously wanting to do it. A, they want the 30 grand for, for playing, and B, they want the capacity to emulate King Wally and the like. So if we could get it so we had Allies and Victoria versus South Australia and, Queensland and uh, WA and then a final then you've got yourself a series. But you can't have Victoria versus Allies. You, you need it. It needs to be, I think, it needs to be more tribal. And the tribes are South Australia, Victoria, Western Australia, and hopefully the Allies. It didn't work because, you know, the big names of the time, and they were, re- the, you know, really big names, they didn't want to play. They wanted to play Victoria or South Australia. So that's about the only way I think it can work. Was there general apathy in your players' generation, Nathan, towards it? Oh, I think I would love to see it back. Like, I, it was one of the great things I loved watching as a kid, and we never, I never really saw it again throughout my playing career. Um, and it's a shame, really. I think we just said off air, like you watch the NRL, and it, I totally agree with you, Jared. I think you hit the nail on the head. The word tribal is what it absolutely needs to be yep. because that invigorates this passion amongst everyone and is what gives it the lifeblood that it needs. Um, 
So yeah, I'll, I would love. I would love. My idea would be that I think every, from a fairness point of view, I think the whole season should be everyone plays each other once, and they should play some sort of mix of a final series and make up the rest of the games with a with a, a series like that. When did it work? Jared, it worked oh, big, big time in the eighties. It really worked in the eighties. It was in, incredible. I mean, I can remember, and it worked prior to State of Origin as well. Well, prior to the National League, though, didn't it? It as well? did. It did. But even then, the 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 State of Origin rules were very flexible. Like <laughs> I, I, I ended up playing with Ross Glendinning for Victoria, and I played against him for Western Australia. But they, they've, in the end, they got the state of origin right. And it's unbelievable that we invented yeah, state of they... origin footy in New South Wales and Queensland took it over. But it was it was just incredible. Those days playing over in the West and, uh, you know, it was played at 2 o'clock, so it was beamed into, a, or, you know, and, and they changed the time, and so it was beamed into prime time here. Sometimes it was on a little bit earlier and sometimes it was on a bit later. But the South Australian games late in in um, the 80s when Kernahan and uh, Graham Corns, bless his soul, were absolutely magnificent. I mean, those games played at night, they rated incredibly well. And, geez, the, the fervour and the passion within those crowds were unbelievable. I mean, they took Kickervik to uh, <laughs> literally over there. So that's when it worked, 80s, and I think maybe early 90s, and uh, then it fell apart. And you look at some of those games when they come on Fox Footy and the quality of players. And I, I always wanted to think an All-Stars game could work because you had the best yep. four, 24, 48 players involved, but it doesn't have the tribal feel. Rugby Union, rugby League has the easy divide, doesn't it? Queensland and New South Wales, you get the best players, you have the tribal, you have the best of both worlds. Unfortunately, we don't have it, other than those those few occasions yeah. when Victoria had beaten South Australia, and then South Australia beat Victoria a couple of times, yeah. so we actually cared. And, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Sadly, it never works in Victoria. It's worked once in my memory, and yeah. that's when EJ did his lap, and uh, yeah. was unfortunately passing away not long after. So it was a tribute to EJ, and we had no, I had about 90,000 people here, but it, it hasn't worked in Victoria outside of that game. And that's one of the reasons why there's always a question mark. The image of Billy Slater coaching Queensland, yeah. so not a coach, but a great of Queensland. That's sort of it. Yeah. It was like what your involvement, Gary Lyon coaching Australia and those. Anyway, it had some great elements. I reported on some of the trainings and they were great in themselves, weren't they? Just all well, the players I, putting, going out the train in the big V jumper and all just mingling. My first experience was in 1982 and I went from a, a Melbourne side that uh, was winning about three or four games a year to going to training. And uh, I remember seeing the first time, I played my first game on Doug Hawkins and I played my first State of Origin game with Doug Hawkins, but just watching the ball zing around and Dougie on his left just pinging balls 45 metres, never hitting the deck, it was it just elevated you and you thought to yourself, you, you didn't want to make a mistake because no one else was. It was just incredible. What about the celebrated punch-ons of teammates' old ball? <laughs> Did it happen much in your day? Uh, a couple of times it happened in uh, post-season Events, you know, Mad Mondays. They were named Mad Mondays because they were mad. Uh, <laughs> I won't mention names, but uh, I did like the move of uh, one teammate pulling the jumper over another teammate's head and then clouding him about five times when he was throwing haymakers he couldn't see. But uh, it's it's a really no one wins out of that. You, you know, we talk about it being celebrated, but obviously in in the end, no one wins. And fortunately, no one that I know of has been badly hurt in a uh, ding dong between players, but uh, gee, keep me out of it. Yeah, yep. Uh, David Parkin had a... He liked it at training. 
So totally different to yeah. this environment. He felt if they were on edge at training, he quite liked that. Yeah, on edge is, you know... It's when, a bit different uh, to the punching. The, the odd punch... We probably used to accept the odd punch, but uh, I think we've sort of become a bit more enlightened. In fact, I thought last night, I'm not sure if you're going to raise this, but I thought last night was unfair questioning the doctor of Port Adelaide because they go to the vision. I mean, he's asking questions and they look at the vision and the vision often is the reason why Tom Stewart didn't play because he didn't look as if he was concussed, but they saw the vision and said, no, there's a little bit of a spasm there. You're not going back on. Everybody's erring on the side of caution. And uh, last night, he would have been absolutely erring on the side of caution, but it was two blows. They would have uh, seen stars for one second and, you know, the biggest issue was the blood. I thought... Back just to a few weeks ago, doing the Melbourne game when Stephen May got concussed, I was calling that yeah. game, and I couldn't believe he stayed out there for six or seven, five or six mm. minutes, and I said in commentary, I can't believe he's still out there, mm. and then he and he looked a bit wobbly, and it, so that's where my mind went last, and then he did come off, and I know these things can be delayed, but it surprised me, and no one said anything about mm. it, but he stayed out there too long, so my thought last night, and Abby Holmes was really strong on the TV coverage that can't believe it, can't believe it. That's kind of what we've been conditioned to. But Yeah, but I think what we're saying is every head knock doesn't no. eventuate in concussion. And I think we're all learning, and uh, probably Abby's learnt that too. But, you know, he would not have sent them back on if there was any problems whatsoever. Did you think... Um, would you have expected them to go through the test? I guess that's the... That, that, well, that's that the question for the layman. That's right. The so there was the time pressure in that was if you take the 20 minutes to put them through the test and to be sure, does that happen at the 10-minute mark of the first quarter? I don't know. It didn't happen at the 10-minute mark of the last quarter. No, and maybe we'll hear more from the AFL and they expect that to happen. They've, but they, they've off. ticked off on, yeah, on the yeah. process. Yeah. That he, he, would have, he would have had his own test and he would have, if there was any symptoms, any signs, he would have said, right, oh, we need to test you. So I reckon 25 years in the business, you're entitled to make a call like that. Tomorrow's car is available today, a selected range of Hyundai Tucson's, including the powerful, fuel-efficient diesel all-wheel drive models are now in stock, ready to drive away. Tech drive a Tucson to see why tomorrow wants its car back. We'll be inside the Carlton camp next in the countdown to Friday night footy on AFL Nation, the pregame show. The Beaumont Tiles huge sale is on right now. You're listening to the 2022 Premiership season on AFL Nation for Beaumont Tiles. Hybrid flooring in-store now. I'll get the latest big brand footy boots in-store at Sports Power now. There's a late out of the Essendon side. Andrew McGrath has been replaced by Tom Cutler. And the subs are Alec Waterman for the Dons and Matthew Cottrell for the Blues. We're inside the Carlton camp here with assistant coach Ash Hansen. Ash, great to have you on AFL Nation. Thanks, Jared. Good to join you. How have you set up for the second half of the season? Did you use the bye to do a level of reassessment? Uh, yeah, certainly. It's a, it's a great opportunity to take a, a breath and reflect. Uh, and certainly our last performance against Collingwood gave us uh, a really good opportunity to, to hone in on what's really important in our game and what's stacked up in the first half of the year. So um, the timing, even though we had to go into the break on a loss, uh, was probably a good opportunity for us. Ash, what was the assessment of that, of that Collingwood game? 
Uh, our third quarter, we went away from the things that we really want to value around our team football and system, and we just saw too many guys going outside of what they've done so consistently in the first half of the year. Um, so it was a really narrowed focus. Uh, we just didn't put uh, that gap on the scoreboard that we needed to. And was the coach a bit grumpy? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, Vossi's been very, very measured, but certainly uh, that was quite clear. <laughs> So you're saying, Hutto, he was very grumpy oh, with that question, yeah, I, are you? Yeah, well, that's just agreed with it. <laughs> Ash, can I ask you to compare the three clubs you've been at? A uh, couple of powerhouses. Uh, you were uh, involved in the Dogs through a successful era. Uh, and now you've come to the Blues. Yeah, um, I've been really fortunate, Jared, to be to be in those three clubs. And I guess the, the common thing with all those clubs is when I went there, they were probably down the bottom of the ladder. Um, and I've had to see you know different personnel in John Walsfold, Luke Beveridge, and now Michael Voss um, build, a, build a program and, and build a team um, based around values and philosophy and be really consistent with that um, and seeing teams flourish. So hopefully uh, this team follows the previous two. You've had a lot of experience. The wraps upon you as a potential senior coach uh, continue to grow? Have, have you got that ambition? And how many years do you reckon you need in a system or various systems to give you the best chance of success? Well, thanks for echoing those sentiments, uh, Jared. Yeah, um, I, I do have aspirations if the opportunity presents, but um, I, I know there's only 18 jobs out there. Yep. Um, they're very hard to come across, and I'm also in no rush. I, I look to the, the Northern American sports and the European sports, and the best coaches are the ones that have had a variety of experiences and been in, in the industries for a long time. So um, certainly coming across here to Carlton from the Bulldogs has, has added to that experience, skill set, and the opportunity to work with with Michael was, was really appealing and this group to get them to, to bind together and, and build on a philosophy that I'm growing was a great opportunity so I'm loving my time and experience at the moment. Vossi's a great template really I think he went into it too early, he went away he went away for a long long time and just stuck fat with uh, Port Adelaide, got an opportunity his second time uh, applying for the Carlton job and uh, now he's had an immediate impact what sort of coach, how would you describe Voss the coach? Uh, very process-driven, um, very measured, um, ha has a very even temperament, which I know is probably hard to believe when you think of his playing days. Um, and I didn't know him either before coming to work with him, so that was a nice surprise. Um, but just humility. Um, he's got so much humility for a man that's achieved so much in the game and, and clearly coached his own side that he's here for others and, and to grow others, and he's a real people's person. So, um, yeah, got a lot of respect for what he's doing and what he's building here. Ben Rutten has put the asset on his midfield essentially said uh, it's time to hunt the Blues uh, and I suspect they might be going after the chief midfielder, your captain. Well, we'd like to think that we, we spread the load quite evenly through there, and that's really been a strength of our of our team this year. We know Patrick's having a really influential year, but he's been supported by so many, and I think that's gone a long way to the ability to do that. Um, clearly, with, with Essendon tonight and their celebrations and the talk around, there's going to be a lot of expectation, but with that comes maybe a focus on the outcome, which we don't want to get drawn into, um, and we know that that's uh, flirting with a little bit of danger if you do that. In the return of Harry Mackay, mate, what does that uh, what does that mean for the group? Oh, it's uh, it means a lot. He's a he's a real leader down there now. He, he's maturing, you know, month by month in the way that he prepares and really starts to speak up in meetings throughout the week to prepare the group and the standards he's setting away. So we just know what it does for Charlie's game as well and Jack Silvani's game. That now with three aerial threats down there, they can really get their running patterns going. Where the predictability going side 50 um, hopefully challenges the opposition um, and they can share that workload because we want to attack through multiple avenues. We 
know that's a great recipe for, for success, um, and, and Harry's a part of that. Does it help Paddy a bit as well, that he doesn't have to go forward and try and compensate a little bit? Yeah, without doubt, or he can maintain that mismatch that he might get through a midfielder and really expose it. We're, we're conscious that he can go there and be in space, and the guys will respect that, so that's the chemistry that they're building week on week. Did you consider playing Sam Durden straight off the mid-season draft? Uh, yeah, it was discussed, um, but certainly that the health of Marchi and being in our system for longer was such a great story, and and I think there was a, a level of responsibility that he took on board when, when last week when Jacob went down, so we're really excited to have Marchi back. We certainly know his talent, and we just hope that he gets a clean run over the coming months. What have you been told about, about his long-term struggles to achieve this moment, Ash, and, and, and what you would have seen, the, the emotional reaction when he makes it back? Oh, I've just I've just been told about his his character certainly with his ability to be so resolute in, in his desire to continue to play the game when he's had multiple setbacks. Um, he's an amazing athlete. I've certainly watched him over the last few months um, train and and it's it's beautiful to watch really a guy of his size to be able to cover the ground and change direction the way he does. And I love the way that he uses the ball. He, he's dual sided. Uh, really wants to take the game on, which in the modern landscape you know really lends itself to being a quality defender. So he's got all the ingredients. We just want that consistency from him. I know you touched on Essendon before on a special occasion night. How do you prepare a team, and you live this circumstance a little bit with the Giants game, where you don't quite know the level of emotional arousal you might get from the opposition? Yeah, you're spot on there, Jared. The case study that we've referred to is the Giants game where so much was made of, of Leon's contribution to that footy club and they know they're an emotionally charged group. So we'll be tapping back into that process and, and certainly just making sure that we've really got a narrowed focus on us, on how we play, our system, our process, and keep it really consistent. We'll let the emotion be on the other camp and we'll stick to uh, the focus that we've got at hand, which I think can be an advantage. Paddy Dow in and out. What's, he, uh, what, what's missing at the moment? Uh, unfortunately, there's just guys playing better footy than him at the moment. Um, we're really excited to bring Paddy in because he's made our job extremely hard with the way he's done. Uh, he's competed at, at VFL level each week and he's been outstanding with his character. It's just that Matty Kenny's having such an outstanding year and the other guys have been so consistent. It's purely around positional for, for Paddy. So um, his opportunity will come. Uh, it's just about him continuing to be ready for it. If you just briefly take us back to the pre-season, the, the process of changing a game plan. I mean, we've we've seen teams that haven't even changed coach, but have, have adjusted a game plan and, and not necessarily been bought in by the players, or it hasn't been executed as they would have liked. How? To what level have you got in terms of developing the game plan? Will it change again? Will it develop again at the end of this year, for example? Or were you able to make the absolute changes you want to make in one off-season? Yeah, Hutto, I don't think it'll change. I think the big thing for this group is consistency and continuity. So we've been really deliberate in our layering of the game plan and certainly we want to do things uh, more consistently and continue to add the detail to it that probably the top-end teams have the luxury of doing because they've played together as a collective for a number of years. Is, but as a coaching group, we were coming together for the first time in November. So we spent a lot of time um, around our meeting table um, bringing our, our strengths together and, and working out what is going to be the best for this playing group. And to their credit, they have bought in. They've been sponges. They have been so tentative to the things we want to achieve. And we've tried to keep it as consistent as possible and then progressively add layers to it. As different games have presented different challenges, there's been that natural evolution. So it's been really exciting to be a part of that, but more exciting to watch the guys buy in and grow. 
Ash, terrific to have you with us. Good luck for tonight. Thanks, Jared. Ash Hansen, Carlton assistant coach. Uh, before we get, so our preview is going to include the formalities for Essendon. So why don't we clear our sports bet update now, so as not to introduce, interrupt uh, the formalities that are going to take place, and then once we're through that, we can let Jared Healy and Nathan Jones loose. So let's get the odds update. Thanks to sports bet. No, we don't have that. It was the best laid plans, but it hasn't come quite to fruition. Don't forget to check out the AFL record this week. The big freeze is back. It profiles the 10 sliders, the interviews, past sliders, and Neil Danaher's touching tribute as well. He's impressive the way he speaks, isn't he, Ash? It's not hard to see why he has the reputation yeah, that he has. I mean, I've never seen him uh, operate, but uh, just the word around town, Hutto, <laughs> is uh, pretty strong that Ash Hansen is going to be a really good senior coach if he gets the right opportunity. In fact, there's a few. Like Jamie Graham never gets spoken about on this side of the country, but he's gone to Fremantle. He's been with the West Coast Eagles. He's he's a bloke that uh, continues to get rave reviews, Jonesy. Yeah, I'd, I loved his temperament around uh, and his willingness to take... Uh, stock or take interest in other sports and the progression of them to being successful as a senior coach and um, he seems quite humble and reserved in his abilities but absolutely if you just listen to him speak yep. and you as you said hear or listen to the word around town he's he's definitely got all the attributes and I think doing enough time on the block and being better prepared than anyone uh, when he does get his chance he seems like he'll be a He'd be a, a very good senior coach at that. I think it would be an invigorating field to put together at the moment. I know we all default to sort of what's known, but yeah. uh, the unknowns is, is Uze, Graham, yeah. Hanson. I, I think you'd get, I think you'd have a pretty good set of interviews to give you a bit to think about. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten about Adam Uze, but uh, I'm not sure who one, two and three are, but uh, probably they're the three on the podium. What are we thinking with Ken Hinckley? Well... I think you've got to accept that there'll be some interest from the Giants. I mean, it just would be make no sense that they're not interested in a senior coach if he was available. Now, last night he said he wasn't available. We all know how the system works, and Ken answered it perfectly last night. But if the Giants don't land Alistair Clarkson, then they may not be even chasing Alistair Clarkson, but they will certainly be asking. Alistair Clarkson may not want to go there. But if Clarko's not going there and they're looking for a senior bloke, well... Ken Hinckley has to be uh, right at the top of the list. Our travel partner for AFL Nation is Samsonite Innovative Travel and Business Solutions. Essendon, 16 Premiership Cups have been stood in the middle in the centre square here at the MCG. The formalities to celebrate 150 years will be taking place on the other side of this break. This is the AFL Nation pre-game show. The Beaumont Tiles huge sale is on right now. Essendon perspective. It is the Bombers and the Blues. This is the night that the club asked to celebrate 150 years in the uh, in the competition. They have their 16 Premiership Cups out into the centre of the ground. They have chosen the opponents, the only other club who shares that mantle. They have gathered past greats. They're dimming the lights. And in a moment's time, we're going to share in the Essendon formalities as they walk us through a storied history at the club. Neil Danaher is here tonight. He's in his Bombers garb rather than his Melbourne scarf. He'll be here on Monday for that. AFL Nation for Sports Power, your local footy experts. As uh, darkness falls over the MCG, and uh, I think we're going to 
pick this up and share it all with you. Hey, listen up. Generations of football royalty have called the Essendon Football Club home for 150 years. But for me and many of you, it started right here in Windy Hill. Now, the uninitiated will tell you the team won and not you. But we sit in the rain. We ride the train. We felt the pain. Win or lose, we do it again. We are Essendon. Yeah, yeah, we've had fierce opposition, but we've had special people on our side too. The trophy cabinet does not lie. From humble beginnings in Melbourne's northern suburbs to triumphs that shape the game today, this is 150 years of the Essendon Football Club. Canadons! <laughs> A hundred and fifty years ago, our great club was born. A hundred and fifty years later, a new legacy begins with the AFLW. Please make some noise and welcome your newest bombers to the MCG. Now, every footy fan has a reason why they love their club. The moment that captured them for life. For me, it began when number 13 picked up a bouncing ball on the wing in the 93 grand final. Silvani swears he touched it. And that just makes it more enjoyable for me. Michael Long. <laughs> While we're here, what 20-year-old wins a Brownlow from the back pocket? When I was 20, I had nothing in my back pocket. But not even Father Time can touch the prodigy of the Baby Bombers. Daniels has made good position. My hero, Gavin Wanganeen. these blackfellas was inspirational for me. They were the best players in the best side, in the best game in the world. Kick it, Cockatoo Collins, Rioli, Davey, Jetta, Dempsey, Lovett Murray, Ryder, Waller. And every club has their season, the year that everything clicks. In 2000, it really clicked. 
Whatever Sheedy said to them in 99, well, it worked. This was the kind of season clubs dream of and the type you may wish that you'll never have again. Ferocious and fierce, the undeniable season. Kevin Sheedy joins Dick Reynolds as the most successful club. From the 2000 Premiership team, lethal left footer, Scotty Lucas, and our most courageous bomber, Adam Ramanaskis. Spotlight captures that pair with their Premiership Cup in the centre of the MCG. But the jewel of that era was this goal-kicking machine down forward named Matthew Lloyd. Every player has their superstitions, but his set-shot ritual literally changed the game. Grass gets picked, goals get kicked. The Velvet Sledgehammer was a walking Coleman medal. A dictionary definition of a full forward. from Matthew Lloyd. It's a little bit of grass, tosses it into the MCG air. To say the Bombers are a family club would be putting it lightly. Football royalty echoes through our halls. The Watsons. The Fletchers. And Bombers family, get off your seats for the Danahers. But let's be honest, there's another Bombers name we haven't got to yet. A name that's plastered on the grandstand at Windy Hill and on the mind of every Bombers fan. Few players can hold the accolades and accomplishments of this man. The list, it's as long as he sleeves.
it for James Hurd. Up a smoke-filled aisle and out into the spotlight of the MCG comes James Hurd. His Essendon scarf raised high. His approach unorthodox. Impact unmatched. Legacy untouched. He is the godfather, the conductor who orchestrated the chaos. Talk about passion, football IQ, on field, off the field. His impact on the Essendon Football Club is still present and ripples throughout the league. Jackets, wave your scars for the Don of Dons, Kevin Sheedy. Waving a scarf above his head and coming down those steps back onto the MCG. And Bombers fans, stand up because here comes your team now. Can the Dons make some noise? That's a terrific ceremony that they put together. There's a good contingent of Carlton fans here too <laughs> who are trying to drown out the cheers with a hearty boo as the modern iteration of the Bombers broke through their banner. Yeah, great celebration. Uh, well put together, really well put together by uh, the creative geniuses at the Bombers. And uh, they've burst onto the scene. And, gee, that's got to get you up and about, Jonesy. If you weren't up and about now, you're never going to get up. Oh, absolutely. And as they run down towards the goal square, all of the acknowledged past players down there embracing with the playing group, which is awesome to that see. That is a great look, That's a great it? sight, yeah. And yeah. as you mentioned, Jared, it's, how can you not be inspired right now? And... Um, kind of fitting that the Carton faithful tried to drown the whole situation out in booze. Hopefully that's a sign of what's to come, really, and both teams just really butt heads tonight and um, I guess in the, in the Bombers, for the Bombers' sake, they get the job done. So they've formed a circle arm in arm, the current day players and the legends of the past who have been presented and Dyson Heppel is in the middle of that circle issuing his instructions for the night to feel the history he's pulling at his jumper they're at the punt road in the goal square in front of the cheer squad which is gathered on mass they are powerful images and it does set a scene is you want to live up to yeah, these they moments this up, wouldn't they now you want to live up to what's taking place at the moment because they are their glorious scenes in the history of the club as long as they're on it over the next couple of hours and that's not Fraser Brown running out there is it no <laughs> I just just thought I'd better check I, was, uh, I thought Justin and Simon Madden might have got a guarantee, but uh, Justin was obviously uh, didn't play enough games at the Bombers to get the family recognition. <laughs> the Blues are about to come through their banner. So let's go into the garage for our match preview. Thanks to Autobahn. Autobahn has all your top automotive gear at low prices. Enter the Blues. The Blues are more rousing than the cheers, it seems. Our experts are in place. Jared Healy and Nathan Jones, dressed thanks to Ringers West and Ringers West and Clothing. Looks great in the city and toughs it out on the land. Bombers uh, onto the ground, as we know. Now come the Blues. 
And there was a lot of uh, discussion about the Blues and their midfield. The uh, Bombers needed to take it up to them, and the mail going round is that uh, they're going to target Cripps. Well, I think this is now a moment for sobriety, Jonesy, and what makes me mo- more sober uh, than, uh, I guess, the exaltation we just saw for the Bombers is the four in the middle of the ground. Cripps, Hewitt, Kennedy and Chera, Parrish, Merritt, Perkins and uh, Martin possibly. No McGrath. Parrish will go in there for the stoppages, but if they're going to be of any chance whatsoever tonight, they have just got to turn around their clearance form and they've got to turn around their contested ball form. And it's a really tough ask because they're up against uh, four fantastic players who have excelled right throughout this season in that department. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Jared. And we listened to Josh Marnie speak and the cornerstone of their game since simplifying is around pressure and contested ball. And they've got a huge, well, they've got huge upside and whether or not they can deliver on that, that's another question. I think uh, tonight's a night they'd want to do it. They're ranked last for the pressure factor in the competition right this present at 174. So... There's a huge scope for them to be able to lift in that phase of the game. And ultimately, I think that's where where it starts. To, they're going to have to break down Carlton by putting immense pressure on them around stoppage to affect their influence. Carlton, uh, an amazing centre-bounce clearance side, not ranked number one in the competition. So their work's going to be cut out uh, in there, absolutely, um, trying to sort of quell the influence that... Um, that Carlton have in that space or that phase of the game, and I'm excited to see. It's uh, you know it's hard not to be uh, inspired by the scenes that we saw yep. prior to the game, and you can only imagine what it would be like in the shoes of the players and a club with such a uh, well, such an amazing history, really, um, and for them to be so absorbed in it like they have in the last week or two, and it all culminating in the presentation tonight. Um, yeah, I think Essendon would be looking for a major response. Yeah, and I think they'll be looking for a few uh, of their young blokes to stand up. I, I'm really impressed with some of the young blokes. I know people have uh, had a crack at Tadoro over the last uh, couple of weeks, but gee, if you're basing it on the last uh, couple of years, I think he's uh, got he can put the chest out. They've uh, picked some really good kids. They're not all out there tonight, and some of them have backed off what they showed last week. But uh, Caldwell's one they got from the Giants. Harry Jones, I think, is a fantastic player. I mean, there is half a dozen there that uh, you could see building a premiership on. The question is, will they be patient enough? What about the question around the, the big-bodied midfielders that they don't have, Jared? Is that yeah. a flaw in their list build? I think it is. I think it is, and I think that's something that they need to address. And I'm sure if they're looking for a trade, that'll be uh, something they do try and get in. A guy under a pressure, and a, and a bloke I think uh, is a much better player than people are giving him credit for, is Dylan Shield. He's He can be a reasonable-sized body in the middle of the ground. He was second in the best and fairest, I think, in his first year. He was dropped a couple of times this year, which uh, he'd be gutted by at this stage. But I hope on this stage tonight he puts in one of his great performances for the Bombers. He, he is an A-grade potential player. He's an All-Australian. He's had that sort of year, Jonesy, and he hasn't really made a mark so far this year. So I think when you come to the game and you're looking for reasons why there can be an upset, you've got to go to guys like Dylan Sheil, and I'd be surprised if he doesn't get a good run through the middle of the ground. I totally agree, and just watching the midfield group warm up here, you know, they've got the likes of... Parish and Merritt, but then they, they have got those young boys in Cordwell and Perkins. Yep. Interesting to see Dyson Heppel up warming up with the midfield group as well. You know, I think they've got the they've got 
some ability in there that can do some damage. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but it's going to have to be more of a team effort. They're going to have to work together to quell the influence of the Carlton midfield. We've already seen uh, how well they work together as a group all year. And as much as the, the Carlton big bodies is so often spoke about, there's advantages that Essendon will just have to play to against them. And getting on the move a little bit more and using their agility and speed to exit the stoppage, I think, is the challenge for them up. It's going to start with Big Draper in there, though. I think he's just going to have to compete, obviously influencing and affecting the, the, the first look that Carlton get. And, you know, ultimately, they bring it, bring a high level of pressure and intensity, much like what we saw Sydney do to Melbourne last week. Yep. They're well and truly capable. What are we able to expect from Jake Stringer just four games this year? What's, what's reasonable? What's fair to expect from him? Oh, I think if, he, if we can just get him to hit the scoreboard probably a couple of times and just look dangerous, create... Another option down there, Josh Marnie mentioned, you know... Stay for, forward or midfield I forward? think he'd spend majority of the night forward, I would think. You know, possibly sort of that 70-30 split, maybe. Um, you know, he's got to sort of find his legs and find his touch and feel. And But I'd like to see him stay down there. I think he can cause real havoc. He's a difficult matchup to play on. I think when he does come up to the midfield, ultimately it's just to create an element of mismatch, drift forward give them something else to think about but uh, as far as sort of permanently running around in there I, I don't think that's the best option for him it's Ty power's big footy final sale to kick things off you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected toyo passenger car and suv tires Ty power's big footy final sale can't last visit typower.com.au now